Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Lives podcast. The show that explores life purpose by taking you on a journey into different people's unique and somewhat squiggly worlds. We're your hosts, Helena and Claire. In this episode, we chat with Sophie Malifant from the UK. Sophie is a freelance graphic designer and the author and illustrator of the children's book, The Country That Shook which helped to raise money for the rehabilitation of Nepal following the earthquake in 2015. In this fascinating conversation, we talk about social justice, the importance of creativity, menstruation, empowering women, and much more. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome to our podcast, Sophie. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. So nice to be here. So I thought we'd start... um, with your project or your time in Nepal and if you'd like to talk a little bit about that and the children's book you then wrote and illustrated the country that shook yeah right okay cool yeah this is I'm glad you're like directing a little bit because this so it's so vast um and yeah that was a big squiggle in my life I would say so I was I was on a year-long travel around Asia in 2015 and three months into the travel I crossed the border from India into Nepal uh, just on the 19th of April 2015 and then on the 25th of April was the 7.9 Richter earthquake um, that rocked the whole country uh, killed about 9,000 people and left millions without you know food and water and um, it was 80 years since their last earthquake, so no one had any living memory of of a quake. Um, so it was it, it was kind of expected, which I hadn't realised. I, I didn't know before I went to Nepal that they were kind of waiting for an earthquake. Um, but yeah, obviously that completely changed both my trip and essentially my life um, because um, I did only stay for a week after the earthquake in the country. I made the decision that I could stay and try and sort of do physical like work, physical volunteering work um, at the time, but I actually made the decision that my help was probably going to be better from afar or from, you know, from a different perspective. And so, yeah, I I left and went back to India. Um, And, but what kind of grew from that trip back to India and, and just the kind of processing of my ability to be able to leave and my ability to, um, that this wasn't my my constant reality um was this yeah this kind of it, I kind of needed to process it for myself and also to understand or appreciate like that the challenge of of living in a country that's just experienced an earthquake and so on the on the bus back to India I wrote a story um, which at the, at the time I thought was probably just for my own kind of personal processing and understanding and it was about a little girl called Shanti and Shanti means peace and uh, about her experience of being in the earthquake and it's a fictional story so she falls through a crack when the earthquake happens and she discovers that it's a yeti under the ground who is shaking and he's angry and she has to calm him down and uh, persuade him to save her people basically so it's a kind of a heroine's journey but in a way of like well making making a, a, a something like an earthquake into uh, yeah has has a moral behind it as to kind of 
protecting your people and 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 just that persistence like she didn't give up she had to talk to him for like three days or something I can't remember how many it's uh, how many days it is but she had to really persuade him that it was time for him to lie down again and stop shaking so yeah then from that um that the 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 book the story then um I illustrated um, I'm a graphic designer by profession and so as as I continued my journey around Asia I did the illustrations for that and um ended up creating a Kickstarter, getting funded, and the printing happened, I think within, the pre-order happened within six months of the earthquake. Um, and I, I had it printed in China, which was part of my journey. So I got to go to the factory in China. So it was all kind of, again, part of my squiggle. Like I wouldn't normally, um, I, I probably wouldn't normally choose a print a book, print a book in China, but because I was physically there, it made sense for me to, to sort of source places that I could get it printed in the country. Um, so yeah, and then that raised, I think it's raised about 20,000 pounds now in total now over the time that it's been for sale and I've now sold out. Uh, I may do another print, I'm not sure yet. Um, but yeah, so that then paid for a school to be rebuilt in the east of Nepal, that's uh, so the east of Kathmandu, not, not far east because the earthquake was actually very central in Nepal. So the the main damage was, was in central Nepal, but yeah, it paid to, to rebuild a school block. Incredible story. Um, I, I just wonder, you say you started um, with this being about your personal processing, the, the writing of the, of the book. At what point did you, did you think maybe I could get this printed and, and start selling it and, um, you know, to use the money to donate to, to Nepal? Mm, it was it, it was a very gradual process um as I started to do the illustrations again I still even at that point I still thought it was probably uh you know a bit of a personal project I love sketching and I love like, I have I always had like doodling books that I'd um travel books to like, kind of keep all my little travel sketches in um but I was drawing on the back of like you know scrap paper from from a from a hotel or it was all kind of very makeshift um and obviously I, I wasn't traveling with like a scanner or anything to, or a printer to be able to to be able to you know create a mock-up of the book or anything but I think the real the real poignant moment was when I launched the kickstarter it was like okay this is this is kind of my decision process because I can't I can't justify or I can't if I if I don't have the support behind me from people who want to pay you know pay towards the kickstarter then it then it doesn't feel like it has the momentum but the kickstarter yeah went over i think it went about a thousand pounds over what was needed so it was a real kind of like okay affirmation this thing is going to happen and let's see what it can do really and even at that point i still thought it was probably going to be um a fairly short-term project like i would sell all the books and then and give the money to a specific cause and that would kind of be a chapter of my life um but the chapter is still going now <laughs> seven years later <laughs> that's amazing that you never know what's <laughs> gonna come from something like a few doodles and sketches on a bus and yeah. you never know where it's gonna end and then it defined so much of your life following that that's beautiful totally <laughs> totally yeah I would never have predicted like I I left London in 2014 as as a freelance designer and thinking that I would travel for a year and come probably come back and enter a pretty similar life like a you know I, I, I wanted design to be always part of my 
part of my world, but I was I wanted to travel to kind of evaluate how I make it really work for me in a different way. Um, but I always assumed that I would come back and and sort of fall back into a similar pattern. But um, yeah, everything changed. <laughs> uh, so you'd also put the intention out there before even if you might have gone back to a similar type of life but yes. you have put it out there as yeah. like an intention and again that's amazing that it sort of fell into place after you let that go as well and it just sort of it happened definitely definitely I, I already knew that I'd, I'd been full-time employed for about five years and then I went freelance for the year before I left so I already knew that there was kind of an unraveling process in terms of like who who was this for and who who was this work that the work that I wanted or where was my energy going and who's essentially I guess whose whose money am I making who's who am I boosting with my work um and a real kind of a bit more of a consciousness coming in around that um so there there was already that process happening and I always been interested in social justice and kind of um more ethically sourced products and things like that so it was always kind of on my radar that design can be used for for such incredible things and for a tool for communication a tool for collaboration a tool for for like inspiring people um and just also well as I sort of know now really bringing people together did you go to the school that yeah that it funded I did I did but it took me three years um it took me three years to go back um and I'm I think there's a variety of reasons for that, um, partly because uh, I actually I, I traveled a lot around Europe in that time. And I, I, I think after <laughs> after being in Asia for a year, I, I absolutely adore Asia, as you might imagine, um, having spent so much time there. But I think there was a lot of processing that was needed after after you know being in so many different parts of Asia and seeing so many different things and also the earthquake itself. I also came out of a relationship after the after the travel. So it was a lot to kind of process. And also <laughs> there was part of me that knew that when I went back, it was either going to be the end of the project or it was going to be the next like boost of the project. And I think I, there was part of me that knew that I needed to wait <laughs> um, until I was really ready for that. Mm -hmm. And that is basically what happened was that it just elevated my connection with the, with the country, with Nepal, and also just my passion to kind of continue or to, and to evolve what was what we were already doing what I was already doing and the connections that I'd already made um, because it of course the irony or the kind of bizarre thing about it really was that I'd only spent two weeks in the country and so I hadn't really met that many people and the people that I had met had been mostly through being in an earthquake with them <laughs> um, and I'd only been to Pokhara and Lumbini so two two you know quite well, Pokhara is a tourist destination, but I hadn't been to Kathmandu. I never made it there because we traveled uh, overland through India. Um, so there, there was sort of, I had this incredible connection with the country, but I hadn't seen that much. And I and all of the connections I'd made were generally um, after I'd left, people that I met on the internet or through kind of conversations. So there was this sort of deep desire to, to delve deeper on a personal level and spend time there and really meet people meet people where they were and um you know meet people in their home environments and without kind of discussions about money or charity or all of those things do you want to talk a bit um more because you you said you waited sort of three years because you thought 
Mm. this project is going to continue to evolve do you want to talk about how it how it evolved and sort of where the work is now like what happened when you went back and visited the school and started to meet with more yeah yeah so yeah I went to the visit the school which was an incredible experience it's very very remote place um and I worked with the Gurkha Welfare Trust who are a, a brilliant charity based here in the UK um who initially obviously by the sounds of the name they their main um uh their main uh, mission is to support Gurkhas and their wives and their widows um with pensions and health care um but when the earthquake happened they also moved into kind of helping schools and communities to rebuild so that was brilliant and I worked uh you know had great con- contacts with them and and they helped to for the school trip to happen and it was yeah it was just a wild a wild four or five days on the road in a, in a crazy jeep bumping around um <laughs> some very remote um roads and just seeing yeah seeing the children I think some of them had never held a book before they because I gave obviously copies of the of the story to the school um it was very very basic area um but an incredibly beautiful um but then after that after after the school I I needed to kind of again like I say just just really spend time in a in a place and decompress and there was a friend who I'd been meaning to trek with or a, uh, a friend here in London had recommended me a trekking guide um and I knew that I just yeah I wanted to trek and or I wanted to be out in the countryside and I wanted to you know go there go with someone who was you know from this area from the from Nepal obviously <laughs> um so yeah I went on a trek with Sabin my friend and ended up in his village in his home village and I, there's something like he just knew that I needed to just ground myself somewhere so he was like we can stay for a couple of days here we can you know it was very flexible as soon as I arrived in his village I just was like I need to just be in this village and and spend some time and really get to know people or get to just see see what daily life is like in a in a in a very rural village and this is in Darding um which is uh just to the west of Kathmandu in between Pokhara and Kathmandu um and I think I can't really remember how the conversations came around and I, I I don't know if it was just in Darding I can't even remember now but a lot of the conversations during this time ended up being about women and about women's experience um and it wasn't all negative like it's it, you know it's so easy to just focus on the negatives and the challenges of 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 rural life in general but especially of of women's lives within what is quite a patriarchal society um but and I think because I was already practicing um I was already practicing like tantra yoga and I'd already studied uh tantra yoga and was a tantric yoga teacher I already had this understanding of how menstruation is um there are practices around menstruation especially within the yogic traditions and about how it can be honored and how it can how you maybe choose to practice in a different way during the five days of your menstruation during your bleed time um but then then I sort of was hearing from from the women there uh, you know about their experiences and and also about separation during menstruation but in a way that was quite um it was seen as a very negative thing a very kind of dirty impure time and that actually some women believe that they 
were reincarnated as women because of a sin from a past life because that must be why they came in in a female body because menstruation is something that they need to you know they need to atone for um so yeah and again it's so hard it's so hard to kind of generalize because everybody's experience is different and especially as I the more and more I work on it I now work with a research project from Liverpool John Moores University into menstruation in Nepal and everything we find and everything that they find as academics is that there is no there is no um set narrative you know um there's there are practices that we know about um that is generally between five and eight days that women separate for uh, that can be anything from literally having to sleep in a completely different building to just having to sleep in a different bed or and just use a certain set of clothes uh during the time it might be that they well, often it's that you can't go in the kitchen, you can't cook food, you can't touch food, you have food brought to you, but you can't touch anything. Um, you often can't touch water sources uh, because, again, it's like a, a belief of your purity that you need to, to stay away from the, the common water source. Um, but it, yeah, I, I don't, again, it's like the more I learn, the more I understand that, it, that these are also deeply entrenched traditions and they're deeply kind of personal. And we, especially as outsiders, especially me as a white woman, it's definitely not my place to, you know, say what's right and what's wrong. But this, this is a lot of the practices that happen. So that being said, <laughs> what kind of happened from that, from this understanding of, of all these things, well, and that experience is what I actually, um, I almost deliberately kind of admitted that I, when I was bleeding, when I was in the village. So I had the experience of sitting separately in, in a different corner of the kitchen. I was allowed in the kitchen, I think probably because I'm foreign, they let me in the kitchen, but to the side. And I had my own set of plate, uh, my own plate that was for me to wash separately from everyone else's. Um, we eat with our hands anyway, so there's no cutlery. Um, and, and yeah, just things like that, just, just to kind of experience. and. And it was interesting to feel that as soon as someone walked into the room, they knew why I was there. And I think that's that's something that um, yeah, us as as Western women generally won't ever ever find that someone knows exactly when you're bleeding because of where you're sitting or or what your behavior, how your behavior pattern changes. Um, so yeah, that was a very very interesting experience, and it was something that I have also practiced in in ashrams in. Um, you know in sort of more yogic situations where you might I've had to sleep separately or sleep in a different place during the the five days so it wasn't completely alien to me but I but it was great to experience it so yeah what, what kind of came from that is is um lots and lots more conversations with people about kind of what they need and I think that's always been my my kind of uh, you know my question is always what 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 will help what what do you need what's what are people asking for and that again that will change from place to place and village to village and even from house to house sometimes there are a lot of very open-minded families and then there are a lot of very um strict families who prefer to really teach their young people that this is how we do it and there's no question um so yeah it, it really depends from person to person but the first thing I did was raising money for reusable menstruation kits um, because that was just something that I just heard over and over again is that they just it's the girls missing school it's um, the kind of fear of, of of bleeding through and and having blood being seen on your clothing 
um, it's the kind of unawareness of of the importance of hygiene and and because of the lack of like healthcare in these remote areas sometimes things get unnoticed for a long time and also there's so much shame around um the having a period itself that maybe if you have a really painful period you might not tell anyone because it's just seen as part of the process and part of the um yeah part of the almost the penance of being a woman so it's it's really kind of about starting to open those conversations so um, when I did raise some money and took uh, these reusable pads back to these remote areas um, it was always with uh, like an educational session not held by me like held by um, a Nepali friend um, qualified you know or you know knowledgeable in in this kind of how to break it down in a way that's not um, yeah not patronizing but just kind of informative and the girls always start very, very shy and very, um, you know, not wanting to talk about it. And then by the end, there's always questions and curiosities and like the ice breaks a little bit. Um, yeah, so that that was the first thing. Are these traditions tied to religion or is it more to do with culture or is there is just so deep seated? in their history yeah. or yeah is there any signs of what it's tied to or what the origins of it are it's tied to hinduism um but what what we find now is that i mean yes it is it's a it's hindu practice mm -hmm. but what we find now is that even though there's nothing in the buddhist belief system that says that you should separate women still do it or they they won't like we've um there are films about like buddhist uh, buddhist nuns who don't have any restrictions but they still don't want to go to the temple at certain you know while they're bleeding uh, or they just yeah they they sort of it because they live so closely together it it kind of filters through and there are also a lot of people who have converted to christianity a, you know a fairly high number um a surprising number um and but they will still again um follow the hindu traditions mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the most extreme practice is called Chaupadi, and that's uh, the one that gets the press. Um, you know, they does sometimes get up even in the Western press uh, because that's where you have to sleep in a, in a shed. So the Chao, uh, Chao Goth, it's a, like a cow shed and they uh, women have to sleep in a shed. And unfortunately, there are accidents almost every year where a woman will or they will have a fire while they're trying to sleep because it's so cold and the fire, you know, it gets out of control all the animal bites and and things like that so th there are horrible stories about um you know people losing their lives because of their, their bleed so it's it's yeah it, it actually became illegal that practice in 2015 but they, because it's like you say it's so deep-seated and the belief is so strong and they really you know they believe that the you know that there something bad will happen and even the sun is seen as a, as a god. So um, for a lot of younger, like for people with their first bleed, they're menarche, um, they actually won't be allowed to go outside for up to 14, well, again, it changes, depends on your belief system, but sometimes 14 days, up 21 days, they won't, they won't leave the house or, and they won't be in their own house. They'll be taken to um, a family member's house because they shouldn't see the men in their own families mm -hmm. during that time. So there's obviously awareness and research outside of Nepal being done on it. And mm -hmm. yeah, individuals like yourself 
raising awareness of it and trying to help in any way possible. But within Nepal itself, are there women take, trying to change things or wanting to change things? Or is there any like, yeah, um, initiatives within Nepal? There are definitely, and it's incredible once you kind of get get within we have this uh we have a an alliance it's called it's the menstrual health management partnership alliance nepal <laughs> which is a long old sentence um but that's uh, about 150 organizations that are all in some way working towards uh, menstrual like the the empowerment of women through menstrual understanding menstrual health um and so yeah as i mentioned i'm part of this project called Dignity Without Danger, which is coming from Liverpool University, but they partner with six organizations in Nepal. Um, and as part of that, we've done um, interviews with over 30 menstrual activists who come at it from so many, it's so interesting. Like I've learned so much from, from doing this work and I, I'm actually the, de the designer on that project. So while I'm not an academic, I get to kind of get insights into all of these incredible, um, incredible sort of outputs that the that the research project is creating um and so yes yeah, some people will be lawyers and they'll come at it from a more of a you know that kind of perspective some people are have grown up in villages where the practices are so so strong um, and they for whatever reason have just been inspired to or have had something happen to them that's made them um you know really question things and, and ask why and like what why why do we all need to practice is there you know why is there not this kind of flexibility um and you, there's some men who are involved which is incredible um there's there's sort of four or five i would say that we've interviewed um but there's more more than that as well because a lot of um even when i was first doing the the just the sanitary towels i would actually get a lot of men who would message me via social media and say can you bring these to our village for my daughter or my wife and i want the women in my what you know my life to have these products and to have this understanding so yeah there, there definitely is a lot there's a lot of um there's a lot of backlash as well <laughs> there's a lot of the kind of um especially the elders who want who it, often the narrative is and again this is not this is this is not uh, you know a blanket narrative at all but often the narrative is that's what I practiced for my entire menstruating life and it kept me safe and it kept our family safe so you guys need to do it as well to kind of continue the tradition and also this is you know these are our beliefs and obviously you know the world is globalizing very quickly and they're very kind of dubious about the kind of influences of western society and of social media and all of the things so it's like they 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 quite understandably really want to hold on to what makes them them their their culture it, what it is so yeah did you always because it seems you've approached it with um real sensitivity as opposed to just kind of coming in and labeling this is wrong or right mm. um you were very like culturally aware um of their practices and what was a an ancient tradition to them did you always have that approach or I think at the beginning I was more judgmental it's hard to say now with hindsight um, but I think at the beginning I was a bit more a little bit more like we need to change something um, 
and actually the project that started at that time so that was 2018 the name of that that I gave it was changing the perception of menstruation in Nepal so it was it wasn't about changing the practice it was about again kind of like starting the conversations which mean that people get to ask questions because that that was the barrier that I was kind of aware of and that I could see as an outsider and obviously as I say I've always been very aware that I am an outsider and that it's not my place to kind of judge or give any specific yes no's shoulds um but it but I, I do find that sometimes you know as a as a when you've got a different perspective you can you know you can see things in a slightly a slightly more objective way and so it was really about yeah offering those spaces and if people were just like no no absolutely don't want anything to do with that that this is my practice and this is what I want to do then fine absolutely fine like everyone has their own kind of prerogative but I think it was just about opening opening a little door a little crack and seeing you know who wants to kind of engage with that and also also planting seeds because I just think that sometimes you know these things are huge they've been part of people's lives for that for their entire lifetimes and and it may be that a, a conversation that you have you know now doesn't actually evolve until you know five ten years later but it's just that kind of reminder that you can you can ask questions and and also obviously at the time I I wouldn't do what I did I wouldn't do what I did at that time how I did it now if that makes sense like if I redid it it wouldn't be in the way that 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 I did partly because I was sort of copying most of the models that you see in in charity work where you go in you get a group of women together you give them a load of information you give them the sanitary towels and and then you essentially leave and what I'm now you know the project the project that I'll tell you about in a second is much more about sustainability and longevity and keeping connection with people because there is such a danger of overloading people with information and then not giving them a framework or a network to fall back on because they might go home feeling really empowered and feeling really like they've got loads of new information and they're inspired to start this new way of thinking about menstruation and then they'll just meet they get home they meet with resistance from their husbands from their brothers from their dads from their mothers even and there's nowhere to turn there's no kind of network to turn to uh, and the place that I did it that, that I did most of these um, uh, workshops was is somewhere that I've been many times now so that I that softens it that softened it because I knew that um, I yeah I know the people that 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 live there all the time and so that, they, that there is a network around that you know they know each other but there's still part of me that's you know that, that's dubious about yeah what impact it had what impact it had for sure you want to talk a little bit now about Kamari's adventure with her moon cycle sure yeah so most of 2019 I spent in Nepal um without knowing you know what was around the corner <laughs> in 2020 um and again within that time I learned a lot more about women's experience um not just with menstruation but within relationships and within like expectations of behavior and um their roles at home and things like that and and, and it, it, it there yeah it, it it was a deep yeah deep excavation of of again not trying not to get angry on their behalf because that's their 
that's their reality that's their their life but it there was a fresh a, a frustration in me I suppose um but then when when I couldn't travel back to Nepal in in 2020 um we, we were already running this this project which at the time was called changing the perception of menstruation in Nepal and I would get girls message me and saying how can we be a part of it how can how, I want to volunteer or I want to I want to talk about menstruation and so yeah being stuck essentially I'm doing my inverted commas <laughs> stuck essentially in the UK uh, having you know thinking that I was going to go back to Nepal and having maybe less work than I normally did I can't really remember like in terms of paid work but I just I had this and also that's where I met Heli who's uh, here right now because mm-hmm. um, we did uh, a womb yoga training with Uma Dinsmortuli um in March of 2020 just before the lockdown began and so I mean that was part of my whole journey in terms of understanding how to nurture you know a female body within the kind of menstrual cycle and really kind of honoring the different phases of the cycle and things like that um so yeah there's lots of stuff happening that was is really about kind of deep nourishment and how can we how can we how can we frame menstruation in a way that's it's not this kind of scary um oh my god it's a curse that we're going to have for the rest of our lives or the rest of our like you know menstruating lives um and I'd had this idea early early in 2020 about using a bicycle to teach about menstruation because it has you know it has the wheels and it's got the, that kind of cycle the cyclic nature to it and also that the handlebars almost a sort of similar shape to a womb and I had this vision of like you know <laughs> of a handlebars morphing into the, uh, into this this womb shape that you could or almost like a womb model and we had a womb model at um Uma's training which yeah I, then in one of the nidras in one of the deep rest um phases that we had at Uma's training I had this idea of creating this idea this or morphing this um concept of using a bicycle as a teaching method which kind of has a bit of it's got a bit of play to it and it's got a bit of fun and it's not not all this kind of serious science textbook and it's the, this idea was just like well why don't you make it into a story into an adventure and I I, I can tell you the exact day that I got my the first the, and yeah so the idea the idea was there to have a story about this girl who goes off on on her bicycle which becomes a moon cycle and becomes this teaching tool um and then I I don't know when exactly the idea came in about working with lots and lots of girls but partly because I was getting these messages on social media and also because the year before we had created this crowd image where different people from around the world had drawn a Nepali schoolgirl, and we I'd put all of the drawings together to make this huge crowd of girls that were all different styles and different and it just the, the the line underneath that we still use is together we are stronger and this idea that one voice can you know it can have an idea but it doesn't have the impact as when a whole crowd gets together and so yeah I was like again I was like oh this is you know quite a wild idea but could I create an entire storybook that was drawn by different people and that each person draws one particular part of the illustration and a particular part of the page design and I, as the designer, kind of put it all together and create the create these landscapes. Um, 
And so, yeah, I just sort of started whenever girls would message and say, can I be involved? I would just say, well, do you want to draw something? Do you enjoy drawing? Because again, in my time in Nepal, I've noticed how much all children like, like they, you know, all over the world, it's not obviously not unique to Nepal, but everyone loves to draw. And also, yeah, things like dancing, they, you know, they just love anything that's kind of, uh, kind of creative, but also creativity doesn't have uh, value. Um, it, it's, it's changing a little bit. There are some art forms in Nepal that are now being more recognized as a, as a valuable cultural asp, you know, part of, of culture. Um, but yeah, to, to actually ask people if they'd like to do some drawing, they're like, yeah, of course I'd like to do some drawing, but they don't see it as being valuable. So I was trying to explain to them at each one that it's like, well, yeah, you can, you know, I'll give you a list of things I need to be drawn. You can decide what you want to draw and how you want to draw it. It can be any style. Um, but, you know, this is your input will be valuable because you're going to be part of a bigger story. Your name's going to be in a book. Um, they got paid like a, you know, a very small amount of money, but they each got paid um, for each, for their drawings uh, as a kind of just a recognition of of them being part of something bigger. Um, but yeah, it just, it's, it's still going. It's, it's, this was on the 24th of March, 2020 was the first, uh, illustration that I received from Ashma Dahal, who is still one of our most active community members of, of Kumari's adventure. And it's, it is now finished, um, but it's not published yet. So, um, it ended up being a hundred pages. <laughs> in two sections so it starts with just the with the anatomy like setting the scene obviously of a girl with her best friend who finds a, a book a, a bike in the village and this bike has like a, an invitation in it for her to to go on an adventure and meet lots of other women and they they cycle off into the forest and they go into this beautiful cave like full of you know covered in red and stars and really like uh, beautiful and there's all these women there of all different ages and different ethnicities and different castes which is really important to kind of show that um yeah the diversity of the of the women uh, of the and the menstruators there and um and they uh, and there they learn about the, their anatomy and what's happening and and again it's kind of you know it's written in quite a magical way and that it's kind of the excitement of it rather than the the fear and the disgust and as I said there's this part where the the handlebars of the bike turn into the womb and they're like wow like this is amazing we get to see what's inside us kind of thing so that's the first part is they learn about the anatomy and they have all that you know they have questions and they're asked how they how they feel and they all like some of them say that they're really embarrassed and some of them say that they're really excited and so again just really inviting that diversity and that every feeling is is welcome and that there's no nothing is right or nothing is wrong um and also they get introduced to this idea that cycles are different lengths and that there's no kind of right length for your cycle so they all get they all they all find a bracelet in the in the in the bicycle and some some girls have got 28 beads on there and some people some girls have got 32 beads and they're like why are they different and and so then they get explained that everyone has a different length cycle and your different phases will be of different lengths and and that will change throughout your cycling life and and yeah there's nothing to be worried about you know obviously there's a little caveat about if the cycle is very very long or very very short then it's something to kind of speak to your health professional about but it's this kind of idea that we're all unique and we all have a different way of of menstruating 
And then the second part is really bringing in this idea of the connection to nature. And she understands how, how her body is so similar to the nature outside. So they, they cycle through the seasons because um, Nepal does have, it's not the same seasons as us here in the West, but it's actually six seasons, but you can break, you break it down into, uh, the, so obviously the summer for us is, is seen as one season, but in Nepal, it's kind of two seasons because you have the hot part and then you have the monsoon. So um, yeah, it, it worked, it worked its same way into, into the sort of four sections of the menstrual cycle even though I sometimes feel like there's six, six parts, but anyway, that's, <laughs> that would, be, I, it kind of got too complicated to try and bring all the little nuances of, of the cyclical wisdom, but yes, yeah, so this idea of, wow, like I'm cycling through the springtime, and I can feel this kind of fresh energy, like, you know, we're in right now, um, here in the UK, it's like, yeah, this freshness is about to kind of burst out and it's like wow that's that's happening to me inside my womb as well and there's this kind of you know curiosity but also delicacy and all of these things and she's like oh my goodness I'm so connected to nature and then she realizes you know we we um what's the right word we revere nature we worship nature and we we love nature for what it brings us and the food that it you know the, the abundance of food and the fertility uh, within the landscape around us so why why is my menstruation seen as something that's so yeah the opposite of that why is it not revered why is it not celebrated why am I potentially asked to to be separate and and seen as as dirty because actually I maybe I should have said this earlier but actually for me it's always been like actually these practices and that there's not everyone uh, yeah there's there's not much written down that anyone can find about these practices in any kind of scriptures um I have I've tried to find out over the years but what I kind of understand and what I feel let's say maybe it's not a cognitive thing is that essentially it is a the separation is a revering it's an opportunity for the woman to to or for the menstruator to to rest to reconnect to dream to um to really honor her body and what's the incredible nature of her body but the way that obviously it's been I would say <laughs> monopolized by the patriarchy and, and like used as a kind of oppressive tool it has turned into this thing of like oh my god I'm dirty I must keep separate and if I touch something I'm going to contaminate it so there is this thing of like again it's a balance a balancing act because actually the separation what what the adverts on tv and like you know all these things about just put a tampon in and keep going like nothing's happening is also dangerous and that's what we experience here in the west so it's it's really like there's no there's no correct answer and there's no um right way and so that's why i would never say to say to a girl anywhere in the world like that separating is a bad thing it's more the perception of why you're separating because you might want to like I choose to have five very quiet days <laughs> when I'm bleeding and if I can have like absolutely nothing in my diary then I'm I would very much love to do that um so it's it's all of it's all about perception so yeah that's why she kind of learns about nature and brings it back to the Nepali landscape around her and is like wow look the rice is the rice is so the, the the earth is so fertile that you know rice is growing out of it and and that's what's also happening within my within my womb 
Uh, and then the final part is that she goes, she's so inspired to, to go back to her village and ask women what their experience is of menstruation. And again, it's not about her having any advice or any answers for them. It's just about starting that conversation and saying like, how is it for you? And what restrictions do you face? And how does that make you feel? And she gets angry at times and she and other times she's like, oh, that's so nice to hear that you've had that experience. And so again, there's no, um, there's no kind of conclusion, let's say, because that's not really what it's about. It's more about um, starting conversations. And that's what the whole, whole community has become. So over time, there's, there's ended up being 80 people who have drawn Kumari, which is incredible. <laughs> I just, I still can't really quite believe it. Um, not all Nepali, I would say probably 65, 70 people are, are Nepali. And the rest, there's a few other people from around the world who very much support Nepali, you know, work in Nepal. Um, so yeah, so what has organically happened, which is actually as exciting as the book, is that this community has naturally, um, you know, grown from this creation. And so we've got this opportunity, we had this opportunity to start doing events and workshops, and obviously we're all at home and online. So I have this wonderful colleague, Rashmi, in Nepal who helps and, yeah, I don't know how I would survive without her, to be honest. She, she you know, we do events, we do workshops, we do creative sessions. All, all the sessions have some kind of creativity to them. So something like a postcard workshop where, um, again, it, that I don't want it to be ever to be um, a kind of teacher-student type dynamic. And so it's always, yeah, things like a postcard workshop where the girls are drawing, drawing something that they relate to about menstruation on the, on the, you know, on one side. And then they need to think about who they want to send that postcard to and what advice or what, what um, maybe advice, but not necessarily advice, what information they want to give to the person in their life um, about menstruation. And some of them are very positive and they're like hope and, you know and then others are like I hate it and and it and it sucks and and again everything all of these diverse um connections with menstruation it's 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 so incredible to see and also that on each day you did it it would be different because everyone has you know constantly evolving relationships with with their with their bodies um so yeah and now even we've got to the point now where the community kind of is um and this is what this was always my dream that the community would almost inspire itself to do things so they're now they've started their own podcast in Nepali where they ask each other questions so we're on podcast four now which I just put, um just uploaded today and so yeah they one illustrator will interview the next one and then they will kind of discuss how they feel about menstruation, how it's been like to be part of Kumari's adventure and what they kind of see for the future. Um, and another thing that's also very kind of integral to the vision, I think from my point of view, is that now that we're almost preparing, well, we're yeah, preparing to launch and to publish, um, they're now, all of them are being invited to kind of apply um, yeah, how to say this, to apply for a certain number of books that they want to take to their community. So um, say, yeah, we've got girls from all over the country, lots in Kathmandu Valley, but not all. Um, yeah, definitely not all, about 20 in Kathmandu Valley. Um, so yeah, they, they're filling out the forms and saying, I would like to take 50 books to my school um, with a workshop about what, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but 
we're encouraging more of the creative workshops uh, as well as educational ones. So yeah, it's really exciting to see that they, how excited they are to take this, this work and this story and the idea of magic and menstruation to take that back to their village and to their school or whatever it might be. Um, so I think for me, that's, that's where the magic is, is that it's, we get, we've gotten quite caught up a few times around, we need to get charities involved and we need to get so-and-so to buy a thousand copies or whatever it is, but actually the magic is the fact that these people who just thought that they were doing a drawing, <laughs> you know, for some white girl from, on, on social media, you know that, that they've become part of something that and that they're actually dictating how how that resource is used and, and and where it goes and actually one of the things I've said is that if Kumari gets criticized it's actually that's actually part of it like that's actually would be amazing if if they were like this story isn't good enough it doesn't show my experience of menstruation because obviously it can't you know there's no way that it can show everyone's experience of menstruation then I want to I want to write a different version or I want to write it in a different way then yeah that is doing its job because all it needs to do is start a conversation and if a, if a conversation is this is crap then <laughs> it's also brilliant <laughs> what age are the girls that you're mainly working with here uh it's quite mixed but our youngest is our youngest was 12 when she first started drawing uh, she's now nearly yeah 14 and up to yeah, up to like 30, yeah, mid sort of early 30s, but I would say mostly around kind of university age, kind of like 18, 19, 20, early 20s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it is so incredible. And I have to sort of pinch myself sometimes when they're just like texting me, being like, oh, like, when, you know, what's happening now? And, and we had our <laughs> first, um, community call to, last week to announce, uh, announce the dates that it should be released. Um, and they yeah they so they get to hear it all first we haven't actually announced it anything online or anything yet because it's still a little bit vague um, because COVID uh, unfortunately is getting quite um, you know uh, the numbers are up over there at the moment so we're kind of just waiting holding off for now um, but yeah and then they had like they were sharing all of their ideas about like, what they what they want to do and how they want to kind of take it forward so it was again just really gratifying and, and it's not all of them it's not all 80 of them there's you know some people are, are very busy doing various things um but there are a core group I would say who are just always involved in the calls always involved in like decision making and and always asking how things are going and and that's just so special and I've never met you know I've met actually no I've met, not, not met a single one of them in person <laughs> <laughs> it's that sounds great though in a way like that um I know there's a lot of negative things coming out of COVID um of course yeah. but the the fact that you had to be so removed from it without doing your work from within yeah and then this sort of inspired the girls themselves and the women themselves to sort of take action and to be the ones that have to be motivated to you know do community calls or take part in the projects and then request books and mm. it sort of means that they're the ones on the ground actually creating action and change which is um yeah also a really beautiful thing yeah I, I like you say I don't think it wouldn't it would have been a very very different process if I had been there um yeah. and, and I think and also because most of them were stuck in their homes or stuck 
you know they weren't able to travel for most of the time that we've been been working on it so I think it also was about keeping up morale and about keeping you know creating these new links with people and and just having conversations just that maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise um before we move on to the quick fire questions I wanted to ask so it seems creativity graphic design has like maybe always been a part of your life or has been a big part of your life for a long time and that you mentioned earlier on that social justice was really important to you as well and it seems like you've these these two sort of main purposes have come together and Mm -hmm. in a really well nice way um did you was was graphic design and social justice something that was always important to you or was was there a a sort of moment where you decided this is the direction I want to to go in or um I always knew I wanted to be a graphic designer I think when I was about 13 I decided that when I was at school and I then I studied design at university but even at university I used to get taken the mickey out of because they were like oh you just want to work on like ethical projects and organic projects and I'd be like yeah I do like that is what I love but you know some people obviously had the dream of working on the big corporate projects which I did as well for a short time um but it you know just didn't quite it, it was exciting at first but it didn't quite um fill the the yearning in me to to really um create something meaningful um and I think I, I like you say like yeah I mentioned earlier like I have always been interested in social justice but I think it's that thing of when something something calls to you really like I never would have imagined myself I was never super passionate about menstruation as a young person like I kind of just thought it was again one of those things you just had to put up with and I didn't mind it but it wasn't like something that I would have celebrated and my first menstruation was nothing you know I remember just being like oh here's another you know here's a thing (laughs) and having this feeling like it was something was magical was happening in me but I didn't have you know I had no reflections around me to, to of anyone who was feeling the same I remember saying to my mom like oh I feel like I'm a bit in a dream like these few days that this you know I've been bleeding and and her just saying well you know you get used to it and that was kind of you know that was the experience that I was expecting to have for the rest of my life is this this thing of like oh yeah once a month you just you know you know that you're healthy and fertile and all those kind of things but yeah obviously now my perception of menstruation is so different and I you know live by it almost it's it's a rhythm it's a it's a cycle and so yeah I I would never have expected that menstruation would be my kind of social justice calling um but it yeah it's just fallen fallen in that way um yeah and I and I think also even the women the women's empowerment side of it obviously menstruation is for me a kind of gateway into into empowering people it's not like necessarily the end goal but I think it's such a it is a hot topic you know these last few years it has become such a hot topic which is brilliant um but I think it's there's a there's a deeper level underneath that oppression that is is connected to menstruation, which is kind of what the whole thing is opening up, and that's that's for me is what's exciting, um, and and the fact, like you say, that I've been able to no, not smoothly. It's been a squiggles. Um, but I have been able to join the two together. At first, I really had this idea that my professional 
design career was very separate and my charity box was was completely separate and I didn't even though I'd done the country that shook was also you know drawn and um illustrated by myself I I still didn't see them I saw them as two very separate things and over the years it's been like actually no like this is all the joy that I get from designing things is 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 what kind of starts conversations and and if if people can can you know do workshops or or um, express something as sensitive as menstruation through a doodle or a drawing or even a poem we've had poems come in and we've had people want to do dances that represent like their experience of menstruation so it's like if, if you can express something that you can't put into words and that is too kind of embarrassing or shameful to put into words if you can express that through some kind of creativity then it's like that's the that's the starting point of the conversation so yeah it sounds although it was like a squiggly you know long path it also happened quite organically sort of you know you followed your interests for travel and something you know cropped up and then um, you were traveling more and then something else kind of got your interest and then you never had these sort of set intentions of saying this is a part of graphic design throughout and art creativity throughout but you sort of sort of let it all just manifest and yeah happen without too much like forcing yeah. it to yeah and that's why I, I say that I'm I'm sort of as surprised as anyone else is as to like how I've ended up or not not how where I am right now but but that 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 is the medium because I think I think I would have thought I'd have expected more to be around kind of maybe climate change or about um sustainable products like I was always very into you know recycling and 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 being very kind of um aware of of that side of things that was something that I was interested in from a young age so it's sort of I mean they're all connected obviously like you know however we treat our planet is um you know all connected <laughs> um and and uh, as we've said like the you know the women's cycle the female menstrual cycle is is so deeply connected to to nature and our perception of the earth as a living being um that you know if if we can if we can change perception around how people view the menstrual cycle both you know all genders then we're massively changing people's perception of of the earth as well so mm -hmm. it is yeah it's interesting because I wouldn't yeah would not have expected this particular um medium but that's how it's showed up in my life so yeah it was and not just in Nepal but these conversations and perceptions and uh issues all need to be raised in well any every country yeah the UK right. and every country yeah yeah, I mean, actually, some of the laws in Nepal around menstruation are much more forward thinking than the ones here. It's like sometimes, although they're not necessarily translated into into everyday society, um, they're actually a lot more protection or a lot more awareness around, you know, from on a political level. It's very different. And so like, like you say, and, and it's the, the need to have these conversations is absolutely everywhere. <laughs> um so yeah there's a part of me that hopes that um I can bring some of this some of this learning into our you know the UK or Western society as well I'm kind of looking at the moment for ways to make it sustainable fund wise for me because I've spent the last two years working on this project and I for free <laughs> so I've had to be very careful with balancing paid work and this work 
Um, but I do feel like it's it's something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Like I've searched and searched for something like this, like a participatory um, collaborative storybook and I, they don't exist. And so there's there's an opportunity to create a model um, to, to kind of evaluate what worked, what didn't work. And I'm kind of working with academics at the moment to work out how that could potentially be very useful in different scenarios um, because like you say that like we said that the story itself is quite specific to Nepal but the the model the idea of of people coming together and making something creatively is is something that could be used on a on a, in, in any community um so yeah it's it's a lots of challenges for me on a personal level in terms of of also that I want to like I want to um model to the to the girls that I work with that my time is valuable that that me uh, as this kind of I, I see myself as the bridge, as the glue between all of these different things. Um, but at the, at, at the moment, I haven't been able to value myself um, financially. I, I, yeah, I mean, energy is not, the, the exchange is not always about money, but, but there is something around that for, the, for going forward that it's, it's important that they see that there is, there is value to this. There is value to this work and there's, va there's value in having these conversations and that it's not just something that, you know you just do as a because you, you it's fun I mean it is fun of course it's fun mm -hmm. there's there needs there needs to be um yeah there needs to be more emphasis on the value of it within society so yeah that's my next um challenge let's see <laughs> oh I mean there's so much you could well, we could go on pages about it, but there's so much there. <laughs> there's so many tangents and so many, so many things that need to be talked about. But um, so yeah, maybe we'll have to do it a second, a second episode, a second. Yeah, episode. I mean, like as you say, I think I, I, I could, I could almost do whole talks now. I mean, I do do talks about this on in, in various different platforms, but I could almost do talks now about about that kind of transition into, um from from this idea of of seeing myself as I must do everything for free because it's charity and because um I come from a very privileged background or you know relatively privileged background and um I have the ability to into this thing of like no what what is the model that that we want to create for for young people to look up to is it that you should just work for free all the time or is it that you 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 know you create a network which we've created but like create this network of people who see this see the value in in, in this kind of work um so yeah that's a very big uh, <laughs> again I, I just love the name of your podcast it's a very big <laughs> yeah exactly there's so much and for women to just whatever their profession is um sure there's a lot of i guess freelance in particular but many other professions as well but to uh, value your time and uh you know my skills are it's a huge other topic but yeah my skills are valued and I I deserve to you know yeah. have in whatever form energy or money or whatever in exchange for those things and to sort of yeah um, value value what you've got to offer really is, is there anything that um you'd like to talk about now or any question that we um perhaps should have asked but didn't um, well, no, I think, I think, I think this is a, that's a really good point, to, like, or a really good topic to kind of end on. And I think it kind of almost relate it back to the Nepali women. Uh, there's like, like we said, there's so many 
so many incredible skills that they have like the food is just exquisite and these and and people will spend hours every day creating these incredible dishes but they don't see themselves as skilled people and they don't see the value in themselves um there's there's people in south nepal who create this incredible art on their houses uh, as standard thing and a, a lot of them can't read or write but they can draw these incredible pieces of art on their on their on their you know outside their doors and they do it you know just as part of their culture but they don't see that value because creativity hasn't had um and it's the same you know it's not it's not as extreme here um but it's still that creative industry is always what is what goes first um when things are seen as um essential <laughs> creativity gets dropped first even though it's what kind of fills us all up generally like you know even turning to like netflix or something you're still you're still watching art <laughs> you're still mm -hmm. connecting with art in some way someone has spent a lot of time and effort on creating something for you for your enjoyment so i think i think yeah i think it's the va the valuing thing is is a big point for for the nepali community and i think that was why it was so important for me that like you say that, like we said that the names are all in the book um i can give you um links to put in the show notes about where you can have a look at the at the story and and there's going to be lots of videos coming out in the next few weeks and months as we build up to the launch um which gives lots of insights into the kind of the pages and things um but yeah how their names are included how i've seen videos of of so we had the nepali copy created recently um because it's going to be in nepali and english obviously the, the nepali is almost the more important um for the work in nepal but it will be for sale here in the uk as well um especially well for everyone <laughs> but the nepali diaspora here as well are very interested in it um but yeah i saw i saw videos of of three of the illustrators looking through the nepali copy recently that we had made as a sample and they were like searching searching through like trying to find their images and it's just you know their that excitement that they are part of this of this book that you know is is professional looking like you know it's been it's been properly made it's not it's not just a quick print or something it's something that's really been considered and um the story is quite intricate um so just to see their kind of excitement about the fact that they're in in a book and they kind of they take their phones and they zoom into their names in the in the sort of intro section and they're like look look my name's in here and so um yeah that's that's what's really special is that i hope that they feel valued i often say to them like thank you so much for trusting me for this this long like it's taken two years and we're still not quite published yet um but yeah they 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 come often they come back to me and just say yeah thank you for this opportunity like i wouldn't have had the conversations that i've had with my friends my family if i hadn't been part of this project and yeah that's what makes it worth it and amazing that uh just through like the power of screens and yeah digital um methods that you manage to then create those connections within the communities as well that's such a i mean for such a huge project and wide spanning project for it to yeah. be done through you know zoom and computer and digital methods it's amazing <laughs> i know yeah and and i think i mean that's a very small point that's really good to make is that we we're very aware that obviously there is a huge digital divide in Nepal and so therefore we have only kind of connected with a certain uh, di um what's the right word a certain dynamic of the of the population um 
and there was part of me at the beginning that was like oh goodness I really want to like reach more people that maybe don't have connection to the digital world and we have had a few but through charities um but I think what I've kind of realized is that we can connect with the people that we can connect to in this moment and that actually it's it's again it's that ripple effect it's that these girls who are connected to the internet and they have good English skills I mean they don't have to speak English to be connected to work on it but some of them don't but a lot of them do speak very good English and then you know they're the ones that are going to take it out and and that's where the ripple effect is going to happen so it's really about meeting meeting ourselves where we are right now and meeting like what facilities we have right now in these moments and um yeah allowing it to kind of trickle its way organically out which is what's going to happen now is a, a really a great uh, it's a great time to move on to the quick fire questions yes um so the first one is in one word what does the phrase finding your purpose mean to you adventure well said um, what is the one book that you would love to share with as many people as possible? It's actually a book, not directly menstruation connected, but it's called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And it's uh, it's kind of a memoir or it's a self-written a book about her own life. But it just breaks down all of the ways that women have been tamed. So it's about how to how we're slowly as a as a society, as a collective untaming ourselves and her kind of anecdotes of how she's broken things down it, it just I mean I, I yeah I go to it anytime that I need to kind of remind myself of of what we're doing as a as a whole <laughs> right now how would you like to be remembered uh, I think some yeah as someone with strong values and strong a stubbornness I'm Taurus rising <laughs> um, <laughs> so I definitely have that bull-like stubbornness I think a lot of people would have probably given up many times over and I have probably I well I have you know in my head been like what the hell am I trying to do <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's there's strong values of stubbornness and yeah actions sort of action speaking louder than words and just being a very kind of um, person of the people if you had to give someone one piece of advice or a quote about finding your purpose what would this be I would say you don't need advice <laughs> actually like um or yeah you can ask for advice but don't rely on advice because the journey the journey is yours like no one could have told me or advised me as to where my life was going to go and actually the advice that I did get when I was sort of leaving the strict, stricter corporate design profession was you shouldn't be doing this. You should be staying and you should be, you know, making your portfolio like X, Y, Z. Um, but actually, yeah, you're, you're, if you're finding your purpose, then actually letting go of anyone else's advice is, is the key. And actually you already know somewhere deep inside, you already know what your purpose is. It's just about unpacking the layers of um, sort of social construct that we have around us and finding what is your true kind of calling and your true love. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. That was a really fascinating conversation. And yeah, I can't wait to follow 
all of these projects as well and definitely send us some links and so everyone listening can follow them as well in future amazing yeah thank you so much for having me it's been a joy to like off you know offload it all out (laughs) (laughs) that was great thank you sophie thank you so much thanks for listening to the squiggly lives podcasts with your hosts helena and claire head over to our website squigglylives.com to subscribe and hear more shows that's all for this episode see you next time